celebrating 50 years, ASCP is a membership organization of senior care pharmacists. Our mission is to promote healthy aging by empowering pharmacists with education, resources, and innovative opportunities. Learn more at ASCP.com. ASCP, experts in medication management, improving the lives of older adults. Podcast Network. Welcome to the Senior Care Pharmacist Radio Podcast. This is Donna Bartlett, your host. Today we have a, we have the pleasure of speaking with Jeanette Wick. Jeanette is an assistant director of the Office of Pharmacy Professional Development at the University of Connecticut School of Pharmacy and a freelance medical writer in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome, Jeanette. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. So um, just to add a little bit more, Jeanette Wick is being highlighted this month for her publication, Social Determinants of Health, How Environmental Factors Affect Health. This article can be found in the February 2020 issue of the Senior Care Pharmacist. So Jeanette, um, I'm so excited to speak with you, and I think this is such an important topic that we're talking about today, um, social determinants. And um, I know that we're going to be talking a little bit more about um, social determinants in in older adults, but I know that this can be in any um, population at all, um, any age. But what I think is really important is that new practitioners and seasoned practitioners can all learn from this. I don't know how much pharmacy embraces social determinants in their everyday work. So I think it's great, some of the things that you highlight, and I'm so interested to hearing more about it. So thank you for that. So just to get started, could you provide us with some background information in general on social determinants of health and how older adults are especially impacted? Yep, I sure can. So... Um, this is a really interesting area for me. When I first heard about social determinants of health, and you probably know that most people are not educated in schools of pharmacy or they weren't educated in schools of pharmacy about social determinants of health until 2016 when ACPE mandated that schools of pharmacy start addressing this. When I first heard about social determinants of health, it was an aha moment for me. Um, and, and when I teach students in school, in the school of pharmacy, or even adults, I always ask them, can you identify an aha moment, a, a time when something just seemed so in your face important or enlightening that it's something that you're always going to remember. For me, social determinants of health was one of those things. And this is why. People who have good health care reduce their risk of death by about 10%. Social determinants of health account for all the remaining 90%. And that's a huge portion of influence. Um, this problem is so important globally that the World Health Organization has set its sights on it identified it as a global concern, and they have a very specific definition. They say it's the conditions in which people are born, grow, work, live, and age, and the wider set of forces and systems shaping the conditions of daily life. And we'll drill down into some of the specifics, but Mm -hmm. it's important to know that social determinants of health affect everybody, much like you just said, and they are so critical to keeping people healthy. 
So let's talk a little bit about the components. The first and most important component is poverty. Older Americans receive Social Security and Medicare coverage to take care of their uh, medical concerns as they get older, but that income, unless people have another source of retirement income, that income is insignificant. Uh, It's not substantial enough to cover a number of costs, and, and it means that people end up living in poverty. Um, one particular example is that people may be house rich but cash poor. So they own a house, but the cost of maintaining that house is so great that it consumes all of their resources. By the time they pay their property taxes and the maintenance for their home, there's not much left. So, you know, poverty is a real problem among our elderly. The second is food insecurity, and in the vernacular, that means not knowing where your next meal will come from. It affects about 8% of senior households, um, and another 14% are marginally food insecure. And basically what that means is they have more month than money. You know, the money runs out at on the 20th or the 21st, and so there's nothing available to buy food, and they have periods of time when they don't know where their next meal is coming from. And many pharmacists are familiar with patients who come in and say that they didn't fill their prescription because it was food for their family or the prescription and the food went out. Mm -hmm. The next thing is in uh, neighborhood and built environment. Mm -hmm. Older individuals in particular need accessible housing because they have cognitive and physical limitations. And it means five things. A no-step entrance, single full-water living, extra wide hallways and doorways that can accommodate wheelchairs and walkers, lever style faucets and door handles, and accessible outlets and switches. Can you guess on it what percent of U.S. homes have all five features? I'm going to guess it's pretty low, and I think it's just the light switches, if anything, <laughs> that people might have. I, can't, I don't see a lot of houses, especially in New England, having all I of those know. features. <laughs> yep. Only 1% of U.S. Wow. homes have all five features. I live in a home in New England that's 300 years old, and I guarantee you I don't have any of those features. Exactly. <laughs> so older Americans who lack those accessibility features may end up in a long-term care facility prematurely. Um, they have no place else to go, and so it's off to the nursing home for you, you know. Um, in addition, 12% of elderly Americans miss appointments every year because they lack transportation. They just simply can't get to the doctor's appointment. Um, there are no bus services. They can't afford a taxi. So those are the things that we look at when we look at social determinants of health. Right. And I think in our society too, we always think so much about Uber, you know, everyone can just Uber now, but our older adults don't have necessarily that technology or know-how or even the iPhones to make it easy for them to do that. So what yeah, might be so simple for us and, and even for our students to be thinking about, oh, why can't people just Uber? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't have it to. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I am pretty mm, technology savvy, and I don't know how to Uber. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, no Uber for me. No, no, I I understand. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. What else can I tell you? So, um, so in regards to this whole like housing, if you will, and, and thinking about this, we hear so many older adults say, 
that they want to remain in their house. So are there any like pros to staying in home or, you know, what, what are the good and bad and ugly of that? Okay. Well, let me tell you, there are two things that I consider when I think about people who stay in their own homes. It's called aging in place. And it's really a movement. People are starting to think more about aging in place because it is frightening to leave your home of many years and, you know, have to go to a long-term care facility or even assisted living. So there are two things that we have to consider. And one of them is financial. Um, it costs about forty-three dollars to $44,000 a year to live in assisted living. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money for most people. It exceeds most people's income. But living in a personal home or a residential setting only costs $23,000 a year on average across the United States. So, you know, that's a 50% sale. Uh, I could go for that, you know. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that people like to stay where they're familiar. I don't know if you're aware that um, your risk of death increases significantly if you move later in life in that first year after you move. Um, and moving to a long-term care facility or, or moving between long-term care facilities is associated with very high risk of, of death. So, you know, for people who um, aren't really ready for a long-term care facility, they want to stay at home. And one of the ways I explain this pe- to people is using a title from an old song. You get to a point where you're too old to rock and roll and you're too young to die. Mm-hmm. And so... Aging in place is what you want to do, but economically or physically, that can be unrealistic. So the ways that you make places, um, make it better or easier for people to age in place is you establish public transportation systems or you create communities that are easy to navigate on foot because so many people either voluntarily or involuntarily give up their car keys. Um, lacking access to these services, aging individuals often end up in socially isolated situations. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, they don't have a way to engage with necessary healthcare services. And that is that um, tumbleweed thing that just puts them into negative health con- consequences. We've talked about social isolations, uh, so social isolation at ASCP for many years and about how it contributes to depression, anxiety, uh, heart disease. It's just a real problem. It's stressful to be socially isolated. Mm-hmm. Now, here's another question for you. Do you know how many people older than 65 currently live in single-family detached homes? I'm going to guess that's pretty high, too. It's um, very high. Yeah. It's 90%. I, can wow. you believe that? Wow. Yeah, 90%. And it, once people hit 74 years of age, 95% reside in single-family detached homes. The older people get, the less likely they are to move. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of older individuals who are living on their own and aging in place. To do that successfully, we have to have community involvement mm-hmm. and they have to address three things really carefully, safety, health, and economic security. Mm-hmm. Um, communities that hope to accommodate aging in place need to address seven specific issues, housing, planning, and zoning, transportation, health and supportive services, culture and lifelong learning, public safety and civic engagement opportunities. 
Short list, seven things. <laughs> really, yeah, <laughs> but really difficult. Can you imagine? You've got to get all these people to come to consensus about what we should do about planning and zoning and right. how we should provide health services and what are we going to do about lifelong learning and addressing people's cultures in a society where cultures are really melding now. Mm-hmm. So really important for communities to get involved. And it has to be concerted effort and it has to have grassroots support. Right. Um Numerous aging in place programs are available in very contained geographic areas, and there are two programs that pharmacists should be aware of, and the first is the naturally occurring retirement community, and the second is the village model. And those two have uh, had the most success. So in the first, the naturally occurring retirement model uh, community, uh, it is just what that says it is. It's a place where everybody is aging together and the percentage of people who are retired or older is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and communities have to look at those naturally occurring areas and say, you know, our population is changing. We need to stop looking so much at schools for children because we don't have children. We have old people now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we need to do some budget shifting. Yeah. And we need to start addressing older people's needs more thoroughly. The second one, the village model, has been the most successful. And in the village model, people in areas join a village. They pay a membership fee in Arlington, Virginia. I think it's around $500. And with that, they get access to a community of volunteers who are dedicated to helping older people stay in their homes. And they help them with shopping. They might take them to doctor's appointments, that kind of things. Now, a third thing that pharmacists need to know about is something called the elder burbs. And these are older and senior-dominant suburban neighborhoods that barely meet residents' needs. Mm-hmm. There are so many of them across the United States, and they present unique problems, as you can see, because you end mm-hmm. up with people who, are, again, are socially isolated. Mm-hmm. Now, they're most common in the Northeast and the Midwest. Mm-hmm. And so our listeners who practice in those areas should be looking around to say, am I living in an elder burb, and what should my community be doing to, do, doing to, to help us ameliorate the problems? Sure. You mentioned, too, um, about pharmacy deserts, and I'm assuming that is going to come into play, especially when you're looking at these elder burbs, potentially. Right. So, um, pharmacy deserts are areas where the concentration or availability of pharmacies is very low, and that creates healthcare concerns. So, patients can't access pharmacies or they can't access specific services. Some of the One of the things I cite in my article is naloxone deserts. Now, when we think naloxone, we think opioid overdose, we think addicts. What we should be thinking is elderly individuals who need opioids who are at risk for opioid overdose. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's our older population. Mm -hmm. And if they, they really need to have naloxone, we're understanding more and more that many people who die of opioid overdose are not necessarily young people in their 20s who just accidentally overdosed, but could be elderly people who need naloxone at home just in case when they're on opioids. It's an important thing. And we have naloxone deserts all across the country, areas where people cannot access naloxone. Here in Connecticut, pharmacists, once they take 
state-endorsed naloxone training can prescribe and dispense. Mm -hmm. Many other states have done, done that too, but all states need to step up and get with the program, if you will. We also need to be striving to be like England. In England, a country that really appreciates its pharmacists and understands that pharmacy is critical for the health of the community, 90% of its population can walk to a pharmacy within 20 minutes. Isn't mm, that amazing? That is. That's... We have to emulate that. They mm -hmm. understand that pharmacies provide healthcare services far beyond what doctors do. Not only do they fill prescriptions, they provide over-the-counter medication, bandages, hydrogen peroxide and alcohol, and just some place to go to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Very accessible. So we need to strive to do that. Yeah, for sure. So, and you talked a little bit about this, about, you know, pharmacist's role in, in this, but um, can you explain a little bit more about the pharmacist's role and oh, determinants and maybe identifying that and do we lack in that area? Yep. People always want to know the how-to. How can mm -hmm. I get involved? How can I make a difference when it comes to social determinants of health? The first thing you can do is use your information system fully and completely. Um, an analogy that I really like is this one. The way that pharmacists use their information system is much like the way most people use fancy sewing machines. They have something that's got all the bells and whistles, and all they do is sew forward and sew back, sew forward and sew back, sew mm -hmm. forward and sew back. You know, you've got something that'll zigzag, embroider, make buttonholes, but all you're doing is those basic functions. And that's the thing with pharmacy information systems. Mostly they use the very basic functions that they perceive that they need, but they don't go in and find out that that information system can tell you how many patients you have. It can tell you how many are older than 60 or older than 70 or older than 80. It can tell you how many patients you have overall and how many have diabetes. You could look at your 4,000 patients, and if 9% of those patients don't have diabetes, you're probably under-treating and under-diagnosing under in your community. Mm -hmm. You can look at national rates of illness and your local rates of illness and then compare them with your pharmacy database and target case finding, raising people's awareness that they need to be tested for diabetes or for asthma or for COPD. That's a pretty interesting way to do it. Think about it. It adds an element of interest to your workday mm -hmm. when you start delving into your data. Sure. Absolutely. The next thing, and Donna, you'll laugh because we've <laughs> talked about this before, integrating into the public health system and engaging with your community. And the first one is senior centers. Getting involved in your mm -hmm. senior center, not necessarily going to their classes, but showing up, being a presence, taking time to do some brown bag review of medication for free, getting to know people, and keeping your finger on the pulse of the community. Um, mm -hmm. Senior centers are all over the country. Every community, almost every community has one. And they serve a very important function for elderly individuals. Gives them a place to go, a place to connect with other people, and, of course, a place to get information. Next, Pharmacists can get involved with emergency response systems. Whenever we have um, a natural disaster, as we in the government used to call it, 
uh, unanticipated inclement weather, um, mm-hmm. seniors are disproportionately affected. Sure. Um, anything from as simple as a snowstorm, a small snowstorm will keep mm-hmm. people in. Mm-hmm. In my Arlington, uh, Virginia community, when there's even a threat of snow, because Arlington is not really prepared to deal with snow, elderly people cancel everything. They just don't go out because they're afraid it's going to be slippery or difficult to find parking or, you know, uh, it's a, it's a simple thing, but it's a barrier. So think about a natural disaster, like a hurricane that came through New York city Mm -hmm. when hurricane Sandy hit. And I apologize. I think it was hurricane Sandy. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, it stranded elderly people who lived in, high-rise apartment buildings. The Mm. streets were closed. The electricity was out for days, if not weeks. Mm -hmm. They lived on or above the seventh floor, and they couldn't get out to get food, to go to the pharmacy. Um, Mm -hmm. I talked with some providers in New York City, and they said that they would send people, and they'd they'd send their delivery people to bring medication, and they'd have to go up 12 or 14 flights of stairs. Yeah. I can't even imagine it. Yeah. I would do that once. Exactly <laughs> once. <laughs> but emergency response systems need to have pharmacists involved so they can talk right. to elderly people and tell them how to prepare. Yeah, for sure. Then you can also look at clinical decision support systems and help people. There are two areas where seniors are uh, uh, getting more involved or even being targeted. Let's talk about the first one, pharmacogenomics. There are a mm-hmm. lot of people out there selling pharmacogenomics right now to tell people you can get your, you know, genetic material mm-hmm. tested to say, you know, what drugs you should take. Um, many of those systems are very, very expensive, mm-hmm. um, up to 800 dollars $900, $1,000, not covered by insurance. And patients don't need all that information. They can get a simpler pharmacogenomic test that only tests a certain subset, an important subset, and sometimes it's even covered by their insurance. So pharmacists who brush up on that area can help elders, you know, deal with that kind of thing. They can also get involved with point-of-care testing, which is a huge field right now. It's really growing. So there's some great training out there on point-of-care testing. Yep, and you can Mm -hmm. help people with uh, lipids and diabetes and Mm -hmm. all kinds of different tests, so it's great. But then the next thing, and this one I think is the most exciting, it's conducting patient outreach and establishing innovative partnerships. Outreach means looking at at at-risk populations and designing interventions that work for those populations in the locations where they live. In pharmacy, you'll see that there's a movement right now for people to do home visits, and home visits Mm -hmm. are very, very interesting. You can dispense something to an elderly person, and you think you know what they're going to do with it. You have no idea. (laughs) No idea. Once they get home, it's a whole new ball game. And so Mm -hmm. in in home visits from pharmacists are very important. You can straighten out their medication boxes, see how they live, and even suggest ways or help them contact people who can help them make their home safer and remove fall risks, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So that's a really exciting thing right now. Yes. And also very important. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
You've also highlighted um, a couple of um, interesting, innovative um, pharmacists, too. And um, we don't have a ton of time left, but if you could just touch base a little bit on um, the Cambodian community example that you provided in regards to um, population health and social determinants. And then um, that would be wonderful to hear about that. I sure can. So social determinants of health disproportionately affect vulnerable populations. And if anybody wants to argue with me about whether Cambodians and people with schizophrenia are vulnerable, they can, I will win. Okay? So for (laughs) Cambodians, we in this country have a tendency to label anybody from a certain area as Asian, and that is not a good thing. People who are from the Indian subcontinent are much different than people who are from other parts of Asia. And for Cambodians, social determinants of health include a history of persecution in their home country. Two million Cambodians were killed in the Cambodian Holocaust. And to put that in perspective, Cambodia is approximately the size of Washington State. Mm -hmm. It was just slaughter. And consequently, people from Cambodia have experienced very high rates of post-traumatic stress disorder. Emigrants experience depression at 10 times the rate that other Americans do, diabetes at six times the rate of others. Mm -hmm. And researchers have clearly documented that if you have a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, your odds of developing diabetes are 1.3 to 2.1 fold higher than for people Mm -hmm. who don't have PTSD. The way that the Connecticut Cambodian population is addressing the issues are by using community health workers. There's a certain amount of distrust among Cambodian individuals who have emigrated. Um, They don't trust government, and often they don't speak English. So in Connecticut, the program has engaged community health workers to work with pharmacists to help ask the important questions in their native language, to help empathize and explain what really happened to individuals, and to increase and improve the rate of healthcare uptake. And it has worked really beautifully. People with schizophrenia are an entirely different population, but they have all kinds of treatment preventable outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, revolving door or chronic hospital admission is one of them. They have a tendency to leave the hospital and pop back in very quickly. Uh, comorbid addiction and an attempt to self-medicate is often a problem. Homelessness is skyrocket high among people with schizophrenia. Um, They often have adverse experiences with the legal system, and they are frequently estranged from their families and from society at large, and they are also the population of individuals most likely to commit suicide. So one of the biggest problems for pharmacy is access to medication in patients who have schizophrenia. Um, There is a huge movement right now to move administration of long-acting injectables into pharmacies that are in the community. For a long time, people looked at long-acting injectables as a form of chemical restraint because you give one dose and the patient has no choice. But increasingly, we're looking at as more as an adherence aid, and especially with the newer long-acting injectables that have fewer side effects, that um, have 
a longer duration of action, um, patients are more accepting of them, and pharmacists can manage these patients in out referred from outpatient clinics or hospitals, and they can monitor doses. They can look at adverse events and metabolic disturbances and manage extrapyramidal symptoms. And the, the clinics are incredibly cost-effective. So many communities are encouraging them, and the federal government is actually in favor of adding this kind of support program in convenient locations. That's great. Um, this has just been a wealth of information for us. It's really incredible, um, really, how much social determinants do impact people's health in general. And thank you for those areas that you highlighted for us um, today. I think it's very eye-opening and wonderful that um, pharmacy students are learning this and incorporating it, whether they know it or not, <laughs> into, their, into their practices. And, and I do think that, you know, practitioners themselves um, probably incorporate it um, sometimes subconsciously, but also very consciously, too, with some of these wonderful, innovative programs you highlighted for us. So thank you for that today, Jeanette. You're welcome. And thank you for being with us. Um, and I just want to thank our listeners. Um, thank you for joining the Senior Care Pharmacist Radio Podcast. This is Donna Bartley, your host. We're today with um, Jeanette Wick. And um, I just want to thank you, our listeners, for listening and for your interest in senior care pharmacy and to enjoy the day. And please um, be certain if you are interested more in this topic, um, it is in the Senior Care Pharmacist 2020 February um, uh, session. So thank you and um, hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you enjoy the leading podcast network dedicated to the business and profession of pharmacy, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know which channel is your favorite. And remember, the pharmacist is the hub of healthcare.